one and all to episode 167 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And uh, we are broadcasting here live in front of a captive cat audience of one from the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor. And we are brought to you, as always, by Deadly Grounds Coffee. That was a dramatic pause for those of you who are not fans of Calculon. And uh, we are, of course, a part of the Dorkening Network. And I am joined, as ever, by my co-host in life and my co-host on the show. She is the real housewife of Transylvania. She is the mistress of Merlot. She is the Michael Phelps of wine and the queen of the monsters. Ladies and gentlemen... Asher's Von Nightmare. You were going to go all Elmer Fudd on me, weren't you? You'd be like, the wheel housewife. The wheel housewife. Uh. <laughs> no, I was going to add in your, uh, your, new, your new name, the sexy wine bomb, but um, that's for a, a different thing. So how are you doing today there, Ashes? Um, I'm okay. How are you? Doing okay. We, uh, we actually are partaking of some wine at the moment. I mean, um, when am I not partaking of wine? I mean, I mean, there sleeping. are times when I don't you're sleeping, drink. Swimming I, underwater. I um, yeah, we are currently drinking this wine that we picked up at a place called Total Wine and More. Sponsor it's- us and send us free stuff. <laughs> so this place has been in the area for at least over a year now. It's been open. Yeah, it's been a while. And we, for some reason or another, have not made it there until this past weekend. We did. We went uh, on Sunday. We decided to take a trip in. And oh, my God. You know, sometimes when people walk into like a comic book store or like a a, a, a comic con or what have An you. An adult novelty and, store. You know, it's just, just, just completely overwhelmed and excited and... Confused and you don't know what time, half of the stuff is for. Kind of like a like a complete like you just you just don't even know where to to pay you attention to. Expect a rainbow to be coming out of it. It's kind of like a a complete ADD moment. Like you just nothing can keep your your attention for longer than two seconds. Looking at everything and so seeing much nothing. Look at yes, uh, that's what this place is. It is a shrine, uh, a, 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 a temple. Of of windum and it was beautiful. It was like it was unearthing. So I felt like Howard Carter unearthing uh, King Tut's tomb in 1932. I think it was 32. But yeah, uh, that's a lady asked me if I I was like walking down the like rum aisle with my mouth open, and she was like, "Oh, do you need any help?" I'm like, "I'm overwhelmed." <laughs> like I like rum, but there was probably let's see, it, there was like. A 15-foot section, then it went around a, co- a corner for like another 30 feet of all different types of rum. And I was just like, that's just the rum. That's just like one minuscule part of this store. So we were just overwhelmed. So, But they had a great deal going on so they have like a a mix and save type of of deal where you can purchase any six bottles of wine and save 10 percent off of your order so i got six bottles of wine for less than 50 bucks yeah and what's nice is they all have like these little tags on them so it's like this is what the wine costs this is what it costs if you get five other bottles with this one 
So. It was it was crazy. And they actually have brands in there that are like five dollars or less. It's 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 amazing and crazy and overwhelming. And I can't wait to talk more about some of the wines that we we purchased from this place. Yeah, but, I don't even want to spoil um, what we're drinking now because right. it's gonna be part of a wine. Right. Segment. Uh if you're curious as to what we're drinking right now, be sure to tune in next week because it will be featured on the Von Nightmare Vineyards segment. I am really enjoying this wine so much. I will give you a hint. It is not a red wine. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's a- not a red and it's not a rosé. So, um I, and I'm enjoying the hell out of it right now, so I cannot wait to share it with you guys. And uh it kind of tastes like summer. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it yeah. It, it really just it kind of tastes like the the last little bit of summer, which is kind of what we're experiencing we're right now yeah. after Labor Day. So it's kind of perfect. I'm gonna but, wear white every single day just to yeah. fuck with people. I mean that that's uh, don't 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 tell Serial Mom that she'll try to murder you. I don't know who Serial Mom is. Is that like the lady who's in all the commercials where the kids are eating tricks and stuff? No, no. Oh my God, Kathleen Turner. In the John Waters movie Serial Mom. Yeah, I knew what you meant. Was, oh, you're just trying to be funny. Oh, you're so funny. So, what are we talking about today? Well, we are talking about it. About what? It. Like. What? Like it. Like who? Who's on first? Who is on first? <laughs> no, we are talking about Pennywise the Clown. Yes, from Stephen King's 1985 novel, um, where. We're going to try our best to kind of get into what Pennywise is, why he's a clown, and what uh, what really uh, motivates him. And, you know, get into some of his abilities that maybe aren't uh, explicitly stated in the movies or in the books. Uh, you kind of have to... There's some nuance to it, some subtleties. We're also going to talk about the 1990 miniseries as well as the 2017 cinematic adaptation especially where we've got you know by the time this drops i know some people uh have already seen it thanks to broke horror fan Mm -hmm. some people are actually at the theater right now while we're recording this um watching the movie i know we will be seeing it later on this evening uh yes and then we will be seeing it uh yeah, by the time you're listening to this we'll be seeing it uh this evening and we will be seeing it in a couple of days at the Menden Twin Drive-In as part of a double feature. They're doing it chapter one and chapter two. Yeah, so if you're local in Massachusetts, come down to the Menden Twin Drive-In and join us where we will be Saturday night. I believe the movie starts around eight. I believe the lots open around five. You can purchase tickets online. I believe they sell half. Of their tickets online and then half uh, physically the day of. Um, come join us. Come hang out. We're going to have some snacks and some fun stuff. We'll and, be there with powerful Brandon and the tiny German. And maybe they're... they're some more people. We're, Otisberg, the oh, puppy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a person. We met Otisburg this past weekend. I played with a puppy, guys. Mended Twin I Drive and sponsor us. With a puppy and it was amazing. Give us free movies. Trying to get as many sponsors <laughs> as we can. No shame. No shame. No, if they want to give us free, like, have us go I mean, there. It is a. So, to those of give you who are local. 
know. Um, the Menden Drive-In is, is owned by the Andelman Brothers. They do like the Phantom Gourmet and, um, they're like kind of like rest- restaurant tours in the Boston area. So it's awesome. Like the, the area is very well kept. Um, they do some great, uh, like f- not only features, but events and, uh, they're open all for almost every day all summer and they're open well into October, sometimes even November. And I believe last year, because the weather cooperated so well, they actually they opened, um, in December for Star Wars. They, they did yeah. some Star Wars features. It well, was we, chilly, but we were had just a fire there. Going and- we were just there last week for the retro weekend and we did this last year as well. Again, with. Uh, powerful Brandon and the tiny German. We were there. We saw uh, last year it was Jaws and Back to the Future, but this year it was Jaws and Jurassic Park. Um, there's two screens. We didn't see the uh, movie on the other screen. The, this is what we went to go see. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Like, I love, obviously, I love Jaws and I love watching it um, on the drive in screen. And I remember seeing Jurassic Park in 1994 at the drive in. So it had been a while. But, uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark. All the dinosaurs were running wild. Someone let T-Rex out of his cage. And I think those things will harm me because they, they sure, sure don't, don't act, act like, like Barney. Barney. And they think that I'm their dinner, not their friend. Oh, oh no. no. Yes, of course, we sang the uh, Weird Al version of that song because it was Jurassic Park and it was dark. So we had to. But... uh What's our, what's our, uh, because we spent about 10 minutes talking about wine and, and movies before we've even gotten to our, uh, the meat of our discussion, so to speak. What's our getting into character for this week? Well, because we're talking about Pennywise the Clown, we're going to be discussing some of our favorite famous clowns. And, uh, there's one that I, I wanted to mention, but I'm going to wait until we get into our uh, actual discussion. Because I think that's uh, part of the inspiration for Pennywise. But um, I'm going to start this off. And I think one of my favorite clowns of all time, because he has just been a part of the the cultural landscape for coming on to 80 years at this point. Um, I'm going to go with the Joker based off of the 1928 silent film, The Man Who Laughs. At least the aesthetic of the character, the look of him. Obviously, you know, I'm a huge fan of Batman. I enjoy the character. I enjoy who Bruce is uh, with his mask on. And, you know, the Joker has been one of the most compelling characters in, you know, in in memory. Like, it's gotten to the point where he's being sometimes put into situations where I don't think that, um, I don't think he really belongs. Like, the new Mortal Kombat game. I don't think the Joker belongs there, but because he's so instantly recognizable, even to people who are not comic book fans. Uh, I mean, I grew up with the Cesar Romero version from the the Batman uh, series from the '60s, and that's what you know. That's where I know him from. But you know, the Joker is one of the the best uh, fictional clowns that that's out there. Ashes, what about you? What's one of your favorite? So. I think this is maybe my first like exposure to clowns, and I think it's probably everyone's first exposure to clowns, to be honest. Ronald McDonald. 
That's true. He is a symbol for obesity in America. <laughs> but he is a clown. And Ronald McDonald isn't so prevalent as he once was, but back in like the eighties, he was, he, he, he was synonymous with McDonald's and he was a part of all of the commercials and you couldn't even walk into a McDonald's without having a lifelike statue of Ronald McDonald sitting on a bench where you could with sit with, cross. yeah, where you could sit with Ronald and have your picture taken or, you know, enjoy your, your happy meal with Ronald or whatnot. You could even have your birthday parties at McDonald's and Ronald McDonald would show up to your party. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it was a big, it was a big deal. It's not so much a big deal anymore, but you know, back in the eighties and definitely into the early to mid nineties, you know, Ronald McDonald, like he was, he was it. Like he was the he was clown. the mascot. Like yeah. even just like most, you know, I think it was like Ronald McDonald and like Joe Camel were some of the most recognizable mascots. And like yeah. none of those things are good for you. So, I'm going to go with uh, another one. I don't know how many you have. We're going to do top three? We can do top three. Okay. Uh, For me, uh, the second clown that I have, again, growing up watching stuff that I wasn't supposed to watch, uh, Damon Wayans as Homie the Clown from uh, In Living Color. Homie the Clown. Where he would would clobber people with what essentially looked like a sock full of soap, kind of reminiscent of... uh, Full Metal Jacket, where he'd say, homie, don't play that, and just fucking whap the guy. I remember quoting that, not even knowing what it was from, because kids were just, it's just something that they said, homie, don't play that. And uh, it wasn't until I was probably in my later teens where I saw older episodes of In Living Color that... Oh, I watched them as as they they came out, because that was the Thursday night show with... uh, you know, the Simpsons and Herman's head and in living color. And, you know, sometimes it was house of bugging with John Leguizamo. Sometimes it was, uh, the Chris Elliott show, the George Carlin show, but yeah, that was part of the Thursday night lineup. So, uh, what else you got? So my second pick is a little more unconventional. I'm talking about John Wayne Gacy, who is known as dressing. Um, he used to dress up as Pogo, the clown, uh, at charity events and children's parties, but he was also most notably known for murdering 33 boys and young men in the Chicago area. Yeah, see, this is uh, one. This is what I was referring to earlier about uh, that I didn't want to bring up yet because I'm pretty sure that he is part of the reason why Pennywise presents himself at a clown. I mean, I don't care. We can talk about it now, but we'll get into it much more in depth later on i mean it may have had some uh pull on you know maybe some inspiration as far as stephen king goes you know for the creation of pennywise but i also think that pennywise was a clown because he was you know children love clowns for the most part some some kids don't but um children love clowns and in order to appeal to the children and in a childlike manner especially the 2017 version and we'll go into that a little bit more during our discussion but bill skarsgård's portrayal of pennywise is definitely more childlike yeah like he he tones it down to kind of like not like dumbs it down but like brings it down to that level i do want to put in an honorable mention just because i'm a big bill murray fan okay uh we can do a quick change he dressed as a clown and robbed a bank with gina davis I don't know. I thought it was interesting. 
I don't I don't remember anything else about that movie. Just, that, just that Bill Murray dressed as a clown. And they almost caught him because he changed out of his clown makeup, but he still had a little bit of like white grease paint on his neck and Gina Davis quickly rubbed it off. Um, but I got to go with, you know, the TV clown. He's been on TV since 1955. Krusty the clown. Um, you know, you, you can't have, actually, I don't think we can have any type of list without a Simpsons character somewhere in there or reference somehow. So yeah, my, my number one, uh, even though it's not, again, not my, my earliest recollection, probably my favorite. I got to go with Krusty the Clown. And if you uh, are interested, we did do a Krusty the Clown episode last year with Mike Price, the writer from The Simpsons, called The Price We Pay for Krusty. All about Krusty the Clown. So, Ashes, you have a, an honorable mention? I do have an honorable mention. Uh, this is a clown that I watched a bit growing up. It was obviously, I think, reruns at this point, but Bozo the Clown. Yeah, Bozo was uh, more First popular, it was Bozo Circus, and then later on the Bozo Show. But I, I just remember him being on... It's like what, public access television, some something like that. Was I don't he on like PBS or or something? But um, yeah, I it, it was definitely reruns, I believe. Uh, but yeah, yeah I think I he was remember, popular in like the sixties and seventies. Yeah, um, there's a reference to that in it. But I, I remember watching a lot of Bozo the Clown growing up, and I believe I even had one of those uh, inflatable Bozos that you could punch. The, the punch that was to say, like the bop bag. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I used to have one of those. But my number one spot goes to none other than Captain Spaulding. Yeah, that's uh, Sid a good Haig pick. from the Rob Zombie films. Yeah, the uh, the the thousand. I don't know the Firefly trilogy. Oh yeah, so the House House of a Thousand Corpses, the Devil's Rejects, and the upcoming Three from Hell. Yeah, I love Captain Spaulding so much. We will definitely have to do an episode. I don't I make you laugh. He's just oh my god, he's so grimy and gritty and funny and just perf like perverted and perfect. I I love. Captain Spaulding, and I don't think anybody other than Sid Haig could have played him to the ferocity that that he did. Yeah, there's definitely a, a menacing, terrorizing quality. To but he it. just wants to make you laugh. Yeah, tootie fucking fruity. But it's funny because we um we've actually met Sid Haig on a couple of different occasions, but one was uh rock and shock 2009 it was actually my first rock and shock. Yes. And we went and we were standing in Sid Haig's line and next to him was seated, uh, Bill Mosley, Bill Mosley. And the person in front of us asked a question. Now I, apparently, you know, it, it was a good question because yes, there is another film coming out, but at the time they didn't realize that this was where the franchise would head. It's after the devil's rejects. The person in front of us must have asked, you know, is there going to be another movie? And Sid looks over to Bill and was like, Hey, these guys want to know if there's going to be another movie. And in unison, they both say no, no because, because we're, we're fucking dead. dead. And it was just perfection. It was so funny. I mean, obviously these guys must have been, been asked, asked that question, question a thousand times, a bajillion times, but you know, it, it was just, it was just funny. It was so funny. And, and 
I enjoyed that they had a lot of fun with it. But yeah, Sid Haig is just a really great person. If you ever have the opportunity to meet him, he uh, was super nice. Um, I know he's getting up there in age, but yeah, he's, he's he just still, got a, a lifetime achievement award. I mean, he's he's just he's awesome like i can't even really put into words like how awesome it was just just meeting him and having you know just just a few minutes of his time um it was great so yeah uh number one captain spaulding so that's that's our list of clowns uh if you folks at home i mean aside from obviously my number one would be pennywise but we're discussing pennywise right we're talking about you know clowns aside from from pennywise so yeah, let us know, uh, folks at home, if you have uh, any similarities, any differences, maybe some uh, some changes. Or, Do you like clowns? Or if you're one of those people that's like, hey man, fuck clowns. So let us know, and uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk some Pennywise. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good... It's scary. Hey everybody, we are the Derailers, Goobs, Ripkin, and Jenny Bean, and you can join us once every week for a brand new derailment. It includes sidetracking, randomness, we just can't stay on topic. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Derailers. And please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on YouTube. Derailers! Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon, and you are listening to Throwdown Thursday's podcast. I'll kill you all! I'll drive you crazy and I'll kill you all! I'm every nightmare you ever had. I am your worst dream come true. I'm everything you ever were afraid of. And we are back. So we're talking Pennywise, the dancing clown today. And we're talking like sort of the combination of, you know, the book mythology, uh, the portrayals of Bill Skarsgård and um, Timothy Curry. Uh, I believe that's his name. Tommy. Nobody calls him Timothy. I just did. So that statement is false. Uh, so yeah, Tim Curry's um, phenomenal transcendent performance leading into Bill Skarsgård's phenomenal transcendent performance. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of of similarities in the I don't say the dialogue, but in the storyline, there there are similarities. Obviously, because it's based off of of the novel, but could not be two more different portrayals. And I mean. Tim Curry is iconic. It's probably one of my favorite characters. Um, but Bill Skarsgård, 
Well, so I'm being attacked by a cat right now. <laughs> no, Hello. she tried jumping on. Um, she didn't quite make it onto the chair. <laughs> I love when she does. That. I don't know if you guys have cats and if they do this, but when they try to do something and they fail and they try to act so cool, like they just like walk it off. Like, yeah, whatever. I didn't want to do that anyways. It's like she changed your mind halfway through like, the that's jump. That's what she does. Like, she's just like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm too cool for this. Whatever. I didn't want to do that anyways. Um, but anyways, getting back to Pennywise, I love Tim Curry so much. And I will talk a little bit about the interactions that we've had with Tim Curry. We had a chance to attend a panel uh, back in um, November, November of last year at Rhode Island Comic-Con, where he did talk a lot about uh, filming. And he did the voice. Filming it. And Bill Skarsgård, who just has done an excellent, like, th- this it chapter two is probably one of my most highly anticipated films of this year. Yeah, that's pretty fair. Uh, I was really kind of bummed when I, we got out of it, uh, when we saw it in 2017 and it's like, Oh, we'll see it in 2019. It's like, I don't want to wait that two fucking years. Like, come on. Um, but yeah, really satisfied when we walked out of the theater, uh, seeing it back in 2017, Recently, we rewatched it the other night, and still, it still holds up. Still has the same effect. I was highly entertained by the entire cast. You know, Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise, and all of the kids who por- portrayed the the Losers Club. I'm really interested to see what they do with the second half. Yeah, and from all early reports, um, Bill Hader apparently gives an Oscar worthy performance, and I like Bill Hader as it is. So I'm very much uh, anticipating this. I mean, they got a stellar, stellar cast. I mean, you know, you, you got, um, holy shit, what's his name? Professor X, James McAvoy, Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader, the uh, dude from the Old Spice commercials that's not Terry Crews that is now playing <laughs> the older Mike. Yes. I forget his name. But here's the thing. The looks-wise, spot on. The entire cast. Oh, the dude who's playing Eddie, like, has this, like, nervous, timid quality to him. Not quite as good as the guy from 1990 who had a really nervous, timid, almost, uh, Andy Dickish look to him. But, like, yeah, it's. So, the first thing you have to understand about Pennywise is what he is. And then you can kind of understand his motivations and why he does the things he does. So, if you've read the novel, which if you haven't, that's fine. We're going to get into some spoilers here for it, but it has been out for nearly 40 years. So, Pennywise is a cosmic entity that is millions, if not billions of years old, that existed beyond space and time. this is one of those things where you can clearly see the influence that H.P. Lovecraft had on Stephen King uh, with the idea of an elder god or this ancient being that is, you know, that, again, exists outside of space and time. It is an entity unto itself. Um, as Tim Curry says to the kids in one of the, uh, in the, the final confrontation in the... the the, the first confrontation when the kids finally confront it in its lair, he says, I am eternal child. I am the eater of worlds. Like, that's not like, that's just him 
stating a fact. He is eternal. He, you know, in that he doesn't age or, you know, get diseases the way that normal biological creatures do. Um, and he, of course, has an opposing force, which is a turtle, uh, mature in the turtle, which if you've read some of uh, King's other stuff, or even if you've read it, uh, when Georgie goes into the basement, he becomes sort of transfixed by the uh, turtle on the box of turtle wax that he sees as uh, he's walking around the basement uh, looking for the paraffin that Bill uses to waterproof his boat. Uh, which kind of touches on a, uh, an interesting, an interesting thing that we'll discuss later about why these specific kids were able to fight and defeat Pennywise. Um, the turtle accidentally vomited up our universe, like that's how the universe came into being. And if you've read like the Dark Tower series, you're aware of who the turtle is. He's one of the twelve guardians of the uh, portals. See that was that was not in the Bible. That was not in the Bible. Uh, it also wasn't in either uh, adaptation of the movie. Although, from what I've seen from some of the trailers, we might seem uh, see where Pennywise crash lands onto Earth in a uh, on an asteroid and kind of lies dormant in the place where Derry will eventually uh, spring up around him. Which is why there's this. 27, 28, 26 year-ish cycle. It depends. It's not always exactly the same and he gets into that in the book. You know, sometimes it's 30, sometimes it's 25, sometimes it's 28, but it's roughly 27. But I believe uh, in both films it's established as 27. It's 27, right. But I'm just saying in the book, it's not an exact It's he's not a cicada. Like He doesn't come out exactly at the same time. Depends on how much he feeds and how much, you know, if he sustains any damage. Um, we see that his coming and his beginning of his hibernation are both typically highlighted by some sort of cataclysmic event. Um, there's the, and the name is completely escaping me, the gang that gets gunned down, uh, by the entire town. Um, there was a picture of somebody who was, Clearly Pennywise leaning all the way out of a window to shoot at the gang. But like he was leaning out at an impossible angle. Like he was just hanging on to the window by his feet and the rest of his body was out and he was firing a gun along with the rest of this crowd, this frenzied crazed crowd. Um, there was the guy LaRue who went into the, uh, the, the uh, little bar where the loggers like to go he went in and slaughtered everybody with an axe. There was the fire at the black spot where Mike Hanlon's dad and Dick Halloran, played by Scatman Crothers in the Kubrick film from The Shining, were hanging out. They were in the army together. There was the uh, the mass disappearance, similar to Roanoke Island, which is referenced. And if you've watched the American Horror Story, uh, it's the same thing, you know, the Croatoan, uh, but like that specific thing isn't important. Like, it's just, there's always this huge, and we see one instance in the, uh, 2017 film where Ben is flipping through a book and like every time he flips the page, it like zooms in because they found, uh, there was the Kitchener Ironworks, 
where there was an annual Easter egg hunt, but part of it exploded and they found a kid's head in the tree. And that's the scene that we see when Ben's looking through the book in the library shortly before Ben is attacked by the headless body. Um, so if we look at Pennywise, the reason he takes the form of the clown, and this is why I think the, the Gacy uh, reference is spot on, because people ask John Wayne Gacy why he dressed as a clown, and he says, well, everybody loves clowns. Clown can do anything. Clown can get away with murder. Everybody trusts clowns. Everybody, And that's exactly what you were saying about Pennywise taking that form. Mm-hmm. But that's like, I'm paraphrasing, but that's a direct quote from Gacy as to why he would dress up as a clown. And Gacy, well, I think his killing spree ended in like 1978. They finally got him, which would be right around enough time for uh, Stephen King, Stephen to, start King writing to start writing it. something yeah. about him. So I think that's clearly uh, an influence. Same again with, you know, going back to the Lovecraft thing. In uh, many Lovecraft stories, these creatures uh, that are these elder gods from beyond space and time and outside of the cosmos um, are indescribable because if you were to even look at them, you are driven completely insane and rendered unable to even speak. Um, And, you know, we see that in the book, they get into a little more detail, obviously, but we see that the clown isn't really Pennywise's, you know, real form. Ultimate form, right. Like we see him uh, in the, in the, uh, the 1990 uh, miniseries, we see him um, as a spider and as like a weird flying turtle shell looking thing, um, the spider is close to his form, but the human mind can't comprehend what he really is. Uh, the closest that they can come is uh, we see this with Bev in the uh, 2017 version, where he opens up his mouth all weird, like almost demogorgon like, and she sees the three lights that that he refers to as his dead lights. Um, that's closer to his real form, like this formless, shapeless, massless horror. Um, when in the again in the book, when Patrick Hockstetter sees it, because normally whatever your deepest fear is when you look at this thing, that's what it turns into because it has a form of telepathy and, and shape changing, like it can alter its shape, like as we see in the final confrontation when it grows like giant mantis arms and tries to stab Mike Hanlon. Mm-hmm. Um it appears to Patrick Hockstetter as just like a shimmer. Beverly is kind of spying on him and sees her dad, but to him it appears as a shimmer because his mind was so fucked up, he could almost see it as its real form. So that's where like the Lovecraft influence comes because there are so many different creatures that they're like shapeless, nameless horrors that even if you could describe it, you lack the ability to do so because there's no real life analog. You can't be like, well, you know, I saw this thing and it looked kind of like a, a a dog crossed with a, a duck or something, you know? Like if you were to c- describe a platypus, you would say it's mm-hmm. like a beaver with a duck bill. But these things are so grotesque and so terrifying that they have no real world analog. And that's kind of what it is. So, 
And I think that, so we find out that what Pennywise does, the reason why he does his stuff, why he chooses to go after children. Do you have that in, in your notes? But- well, we kind of discussed this a little bit earlier. Uh, he goes after children because they taste better. They're easier to scare. Well, and that too. They're the easier to scare and they're more vulnerable. And like you just said, the fear seasons the meat. So because they are easily, I should say more easily taken advantage of, uh, easier to scare, it makes his job easier, but he can also have a little more fun with it too. Right. He tends to try and be as scary as possible. Like in, um, in the movie, the 2017 movie, they reference a kid named Eddie Corcoran because they show his poster put over Betty Ripsom. And remember, they mm-hmm. find Betty Ripsom's shoe right before they meet Ben. And they just put the poster over and Bell's like, it's like she's already been forgotten. Uh, Eddie Corcoran in the book was uh, his father beat his brother to death. And so he ran out one day after his father abused him. He ran off to sleep in the park, as which is apparently something he had done quite often. And he went out into the park and he woke up and he saw the creature from the Black Lagoon because that's what he was scared of. And it was chasing after him and he tried to run and he tripped, but he got up and he was able to get away from the thing and he looked over his shoulder to see if it was coming and he turned around, ran straight into a tree face first and that's when it got him. And his whole time he kept thinking, it can't be real, it can't be real, it can't be real. And his last thoughts were that it couldn't be real, and his last actions were trying to find the zipper on the back of the costume before the thing ripped his head off. But again, this is it playing as his, you know, at, playing on this kid's fear. And as we saw, you know, if somebody else was looking at him, and there's a there's a scene where that happens, uh, where all the kids are looking at it, and each kid sees a different thing, you know, and it appears to them in a different way. Um, uh, Richie sees it as a werewolf with a jacket that has Richie's name on it because he got scared at the I Was a Teenage Werewolf movie. And on the back, it says uh, Dairy Killing Team because he's wearing a varsity jacket, which I just think is phenomenal. Super funny. Um, Bill sees it as a, um, I'm sorry, Ben sees it as a mummy. Bill sees it as Georgie. Uh, Beverly sees it as her dad. Um, Mike sees it as Rodan because that's what he's afraid of. That's amazing. Um, Eddie, Eddie sees it as a leper. So very similar to what we see in the, in the, uh, 2017 adaptation. He's very, um, like the opposite of whatever, everything he was raised, you know, it's gross and dirty with open sores and oozing pus. And he's trying to be all clean and uses Mm -hmm. inhaler and all his gazebos. So everybody gets to see some. I don't remember what Stan sees. It's completely escaping me. Um, but everybody gets to see it as a different thing, even when they're all in the same place. Like we've seen similar types of creatures. Like in Harry Potter, the best way to confuse a bogger is if there's multiple people and it's trying to be everybody's fear at the same time. It doesn't have that problem. Well, I mean, it does in the 2017 film, though. It tries to, it, it almost gets confused. It doesn't know who to be because all of the kids are in the same room surrounding him. You know, I think in it's, an attempt to. 
See, I looked at I looked at that a little differently. See, I, I looked at it as it didn't know what to do with itself. You know, it was the lady from the picture for for Stan. It was the leper for Eddie. It was Georgie for for Bill. Um, I believe Bed Bev was still in the dead. Bev was still floating around. Um, but it didn't. It, you know, it was it was the burned people for yeah the the arms came out of its mouth right for for his mom. parents his parents right uh so it's like it, it didn't know it, it it was it was frantic and at that point i viewed pennywise as being vulnerable uh it didn't know what it what to be it didn't know what it should be and it was getting confused almost like having an add moment where it was just he was so frantic see i i i i don't think it was being confused I think it was desperate. It was desperately trying to turn into anything it okay, could. Okay, no, I'll, I'll give you that. I kind of like that because it was like wording. It's not the kids aren't scared of me and what I'm doing. Let me try something else. That's why it, you know, it suddenly turned into like those weird mantis arms and tried stabbing at Mike. Nobody was afraid of bugs or anything, but it was like I think that was a little bit of a glimpse into what its true form might be because mm-hmm. it just had like the the arms like it the, and it went into tentacles like it was trying to it's like okay, I'm not scary enough as I am because even when Bev says I'm not scared of you and he's like sniffing at her and he's like mm, you're right and then he put her into suspension with the deadlights he realized that they're no longer afraid of him they're just trying to fight him. Like, there might be some fear, but it's more adrenaline-fueled, like, anger than, you know, real fear. Right. And at that point, they're just not delicious anymore. Right. And he was just trying to kill them however he could. Like, he didn't care at that point. He's like, these, they pose a threat Invading my home. Right. You pose a threat to me, so I have to stop you however I can. And he was trying to pull out a bunch of different tricks, but he was also hurt. Like, they had fundamentally hurt him in a way he had never been hurt before. And that's why when he, his last word to them was fear as he slipped away before they could deliver the killing blow to him. So, because he said, he's like, I just want to kill Bill. Because, so... He was uh, Beatrix Kiddo. He was Beatrix <laughs> Kiddo. Uh, and he said, I'll let everybody else go. And uh, Finn Wolfhard was great in that scene. Like, now I have to kill this fucking clown. And, like, they start just... That, to me, was an homage to the Batman versus Predator comic, where Batman tried all his fancy suits and all his different things, and in the end just ended up beating the shit out of the Predator with a Louisville slugger, and that's how he beat him. Wow, really? Yeah, that's the well, the first one, anyways. But yeah, it's. I think it reeked more of desperation. So, what else do you have in your notes? Because I know you wanted to compare some of the. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about Tim Curry's portrayal versus Bill Skarsgård. So I think the easiest thing to do is to just to to talk about Tim Curry first. He was the first one ever to portray Pennywise in any type of medium, and he was actually not their first choice to play him. They had uh they wanted Malcolm McDowell or Roddy McDowell. Uh they were all in consideration as well as Alice Cooper. I think Alice Cooper could have done it. Roddy McDowell could do it. I think they wanted him more for his prosthetic work with all the Planet of the Apes films. Yeah. But that at makes this sense. point, 
like the first one was in 1986 and uh, 1968. So he was well, no, but, but that, old at that point. Yeah, but that makes sense because initially they wanted Pennywise to be more prosthetics, more makeup. And uh, Tim Curry, especially after doing Legend, he was like, no, I, I really don't want that. I, I, I can't act well that way. I can't do what I want to do. And finally, they were like, okay, you know what? He's he's right. Let's see, you know, because because you're Tim fucking Curry, let's see what you can do. And ultimately, the final form of Pennywise was um, inspired by Lon Chaney in the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, like the weird... Um, Just the, the weird shaped head, and mm-hmm. they really didn't do much... Oh, I thought you when you said final form, I thought you meant like... Oh, no, not that the spider or anything like that. Like the final that. draft like, of like the, the character. Right, like the final you know, makeup that we see uh, Tim Curry wear as Pennywise was inspired by Lon Chaney and the Phantom of the Opera. And a lot of it was also um, improvised by Tim Curry as well. The director, hold on, I have a great quote here. Um, the director who was uh, uh, the same director who did uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, who did uh, Halloween 3? Yeah, so in an interview, the director said that... Uh, he just wanted to give Tim the stage and not get in his way too much. He was like Robin Williams in the way that he brought a spontaneous improvisation to the part. Curry gave Pennywise a Bronx accent in order to sound like an old-time Catskill comic. Tim Curry was quoted saying, I just let it happen. Clowns are your worst fear, fear realized. I think I scared a lot of children. And he did. And similar to what they did in the 2017, uh, they didn't let the kids have any action with the actors playing Pennywise until their time on screen in order to kind of give that initial like shock value. Yeah, to kind of touch on, I guess they were doing this for this new movie. Uh, he may have done it for both. Like Bill Skarsgård would like sleep in a black tent or he would get his makeup done in a black tent. And like when they're getting ready to shoot, they would just hear like this maniacal, high pitched Pennywise laughter coming from the woods, and he would just emerge from the trees. Well, and I think it was the young kid who was playing Eddie in the most recent film. Uh, they were having a scene together, and the kid Jack was, Dylan Glazer from Shazam. Um, the kid was getting really like like worked up and and slobbery and snotty and and and. Bill Skarsgård was getting very concerned. Like he thought he was really terrifying the kid. And then the director yelled cut and the kid playing Eddie was like, okay, yeah, good job, Bill. You know? And, and, and Bill was just like, what, what? He was like, cause Bill's getting ready to be like, are you okay? Like, do you need anything? Am I, are, are you okay? Um, yeah, and, and the kid was like, okay, yeah, good job, and, and went back to his trailer. <laughs> all these kids were good actors, though. Like, they all did a really excellent job. But going back to what I said earlier about having the opportunity to attend a panel with Tim Curry talking about it, uh, he actually scared the young actor playing Georgie to the point where, in between takes, the kid was, the, the, the kid told him, like, Tim, you're scaring me. And Tim's like, well, good. Just, yeah, he's like, good. I'm just doing my job, kid. <laughs> I'm going to rip your arm off for real, you little bastard. But no, it was it was the same thing. They kept Tim Curry separate from the kids until it was time to film in order to get that authentic fear reaction. And I think that it was brilliant that they recreated that 
for the 2017 film. Especially where, you know, Tim Curry did a lot of improvisation. So if he's doing a lot of improvisation, like these kids don't have any lines that they're preparing for. It's like, okay, he's going to say this and he's going to say this. Adding that unpredictability, like, you know, and there's a certain extent to it with Bill Skarsgård. I don't know how much of his uh, dialogue is improvisational, but that weird fucking thing he does where he turns one of his eyes sideways, like, that shit's got to throw some kids off. Kind of going into, so obviously the 2017 version has a lot more CGI in it than the 1990 miniseries. Not only because of, of times being what they are and technologies and whatnot, but also because of budgets. Uh, the 90 miniseries didn't have as big of a budget as the it was most an, recent It was film. an NBC primetime well, miniseries. And, and that was another thing, too. Like, it was a cable television miniseries. No, it, was, it wasn't cable. It was just basic... TV. Right. But what I'm saying is that network they, TV. Didn't, they didn't have the freedom, the leeway, the lack of censorship that a I mean, the censors were all over. Them. Right. They couldn't even so, show the childhood gangbang scene. <laughs> nobody wants to see that anyways. Uh, no, nobody, nobody really does. even wants to read about that. That's I Stephen, tend to skip that part. Stephen King. What, what were you thinking? I mean, the rest of the book is, is what I've read so far is, is incredible. Um, I haven't made my way fully he through is it yet. Cursed but with incredible it. detail. Yeah. So in a lot of times it's very good, but sometimes you're just like, Ooh. And I believe I'm, I'm hope I'm not, misquoting this at all um or or misparaphrasing but i believe he will never ever write pennywise ever again like he won't because pennywise even terrifies him i think the headspace that he gets into when or the headspace he got into when writing for pennywise just it, it, it was it brought him to a place that he a dark place. Yes, didn't want to be. And so I think people have asked him if he would ever, you know, either write another it book, like a, a continued adventures of Pennywise the clown or or whatnot. And he's and, teased it. And, but he won't do it. No, like in um Dreamcatcher, they go to the standpipe and there's uh, the standpipe's not there anymore, but there's a plaque commemorating the losers club and someone in graffiti has written Pennywise lives uh, on the cement where it's supposed to be, and that's it. Like no one, there's nothing else mentioned about it. But it's just like that little tiny Easter egg, and it's like, oh, is there a sequel coming? Is something going to happen? Well, Did they maybe really it was get him? Just to uh, because some of Stephen King's stories take place in the same universe, so pretty maybe much all it was of them. Just do. to kind of like signal that hey, this takes place in the same universe as it. And touching on that a little. Um, at the drive-in this past weekend, powerful Brandon and I had a conversation about how I had heard a theory that the kids were able to defeat Pennywise because they all shine. And he said, no, I think it's because they were just chosen by the turtle Maturin for this particular battle. And he kind of guided them where they needed to be, which kind of comes back on what I mentioned earlier. When Georgie comes down to get the paraffin wax to seal, uh, to make his boat waterproof, he gets transfixed by the turtle. Maybe that moment was Maturin kind of reaching out to him through an avatar and like, okay, sorry to have to do this to you, kid, but you have to die so that your brother can be properly motivated to lead this group 
because it would it has to take some kind of real tragedy because in the book he's the only one who goes through like a specific loss like this like ben loses his dad but he's too young to remember it you know beverly loses her mom but doesn't remember it you know eddie just grows up with his mom i think his dad left but like they all have a loving family like when georgie dies Bill's parents basically like the way Bill acts in the 2017 movie, like Georgie's still there and he's, you know, we could maybe find him. Like that's kind of how his parents are. Like his parents freak out because he goes into Georgie's room because he's sad one day and he touches a stuffed animal and his dad freaks out on him. They touch on this a little bit in the 1990 miniseries. Uh, and his dad freaks out on him and like they put the room back exactly the way it was. And like his mom would even like change the, the bedding and vacuum, you know, once a week. It was really weird. Um, so like this was Bill's driving purpose was to avenge his brother. Um, and while the other ones, like I said, you know, they had traumatic upbringings, you know, for the most part, you know, especially Beverly, they didn't lose anyone that was very close to them. At least, you know, not initially, but yeah, it's, uh, I think that's the moment if we're buying into that particular theory, which is a fine theory that they were chosen for this mission. Um, that may be the moment where everything kind of gets kickstarted. Like that's the precipitating event. I don't know what you guys think. If you have any, uh, any thoughts or theories, but Ashes, what else have you got? So kind of wrapping up, um, Tim Curry, I think his portrayal is iconic. And when you think of Pennywise, you think of Tim Curry. And I think that, and again, this is just my opinion, given the circumstances, you know, A, that it was a miniseries, that they had a limited budget, that it was on television, you know, so a lot of censor- censorship and whatnot, he did an amazing job. An yeah. amazing job. It, it's one of, again, one of my top all time favorite characters. Uh, not only because I'm, I'm, I'm slightly biased because Tim fucking Curry, but, uh, the way he just, uh, approached this character and the way he played it and really made it his own, uh, you know, he, he obviously, you know, the writing and stuff definitely was pretty on par with the book. Yeah, there were well, there were a lot of uh, a lot of lines lifted directly from the source material, right? And I was gonna, you know, to add on to what you're saying, um, you know, if you ask people, you know, like big horror fans, it's like name your top ten, you know, iconic horror villains. Like invariably, he is one of the ones that gets na- that gets named or mentioned almost every time, and he's the only one without a franchise. You know, right? he's the it's only just one. This he has one standalone film, ultimately. Yeah, he has, you know, one film, and he's got all these iconic moments where it outpaces some of these, you know, like a Michael Myers or a, a, a Freddy or a Jason. Like, there's, they have, you know, like thirty movies between them to pick and choose all these different, um, these different moments or different, you know, highlighted kills or what have you. He's got that, but just in one three-hour film, and he's only in it maybe a third of the time, if that. 
I think I read somewhere that he was only in it for, it was either 20 or 40 minutes. Yeah, and that 40 minutes might be, like, as the spider, too. You know, yeah, like yeah. Some of it, it the was character of Pennywise. It was it was the character, but it wasn't him because there were a lot of uh, times when Pennywise would transform into something in order to make they they wanted Tim Curry to play everything, but in reality, time wise and yeah, to monetary and of, wise, in and out of that, makeup in a, yeah, in and, and out and of the makeup and stuff, it just it just wasn't feasible. So there are uh, several times when it's it's Tim Curry's voice, but it's not actually Tim. Curry playing that specific character at that right. time. Uh, ju- just, you know, and, and he was actually very uh, unhappy with the whole spider scene at a Fan Expo Canada um, convention in 2017. Uh, Tim Curry remarked of the spider, quote, it was not very scary or convincing. So I Again, feel like I feel like the he, limitations right, of the medium. and I feel like because it was a puppet. Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was like a fully articulated puppet, and I think he wanted the opportunity to play it, and the fact that he didn't get that opportunity really bummed him out. Um, a, a, a not the strongest ending, I would say. And well, I feel like was, if there's a similar scene in the book where it's a spider and. You know, Bill plunges himself into its body and manages to kind of lace his fingers together and clap his hands together and smush its heart. But the whole time, it's talking to him, like trying to bargain with him, like, let me live. And, you know, I can give you I can't give you immortality, but you could live like two or three hundred years. Just let me live. You know, don't kill me. This and that. Like, it's bargaining for itself. And Bill's like not hearing it like. Like it threatens him, it tries to do all this stuff. Like it's a really interesting scene. And some of the scenes towards the end of the book are from Pennywise's point of view, which is really interesting because how often in any medium do you get to hear the killer's inner monologue or, you know, the killer, you know, the the monster's thought process? Like how much more interesting would say Frankenstein have been if you could understand the thoughts that were going through his head, you know, or like there was some sort of perspective chapter. Um, I mean, you, even using a, um, a, a what's the word I'm looking for? A contemporary, uh, a contemporary example. If we could get in any of the Game of Thrones books a point of view chapter from the Night King, mm-hmm. you know, something mm-hmm. like that. How much more interesting and how much more depth does that give your villain when you can see what he sees and understand his point of view? I mean, it gives it a lot of depth, but it also kind of takes away that allure that uh, maybe, maybe fear, maybe, you know, kind of like the mystery makes. Yeah, makes makes your villain slightly more vulnerable. But I think a good villain should have some you should have some sort of sympathy for the villain like with pennywise like there's no there's no humanity from it because it's not human but maybe some of these other creatures that once were human that are thrust into a situation where maybe they didn't choose this avenue of life but this is where they are and they have to do what they need to do to survive i mean with pennywise like this is just his driving purpose so 
Kind of a fun fact about Tim Curry, while filming, so they had a lot of like extras, especially especially child extras when filming the miniseries. And in order to kind of help pass the time, Tim Curry in his full Pennywise makeup would conduct sing-alongs. And a lot of these children had no idea who he was. They didn't realize that he was the bad guy. They just thought he was a clown on set entertaining them. That's amazing. I really hope he did uh, Sweet Transvestite. <laughs> yeah. I'm just hey, a kids, Sweet Transvestite. You know um, and kind of getting into the Bill guard portrayal, I kind of loved that he had nothing to do with the Tim Curry portrayal. Um, he yeah. knew that the Tim Curry portrayal of Pennywise was just so iconic. He didn't want to imitate that in any way. And it kind of reminds me of Emily Blunt taking on Mary Poppins. Yeah, that's the a Julie really good analogy. Andrews portrayal of Mary Poppins is iconic and you can't even touch it. There's, there's just, I mean, she won awards for it. She's put on a pedestal, especially in my eyes. Like you cannot touch fucking Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins. You just can't. So in her own way, she decided to focus more on the books. She didn't even want, I mean, obviously she, she's seen sure, Mary she'd Poppins, seen the movie. who hasn't seen Mary Poppins at this point, but, um, she didn't watch the movie and and study it. She focused more on the books and more on the script that she was given and kind of created her own version of Mary Poppins, which was, you know, uh, um, Julie Andrews is better. Obviously. It was practically perfect in several ways. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and I think that's exactly what Bill Skarsgård did. Uh, he didn't study Tim Curry because he knew flat out, and he's he said this in interviews, he's not Tim Curry. He can't be Tim Curry. And he didn't want to be Tim Curry because he didn't want to even attempt to touch that iconic role. And I think that was brilliant because when you try to be somebody, often or not, you're going to fail. But putting your own spin on it and doing something completely different, you can do something great. And that's exactly what Bill Skarsgård did. Well, to kind of build off of the point that you just made, uh, you know, again, touching on one of my favorite clowns of all time, the Joker. How many different portrayals have we seen where it's the same character, but he's been done so many different ways? You know, the Cesar Romero Joker, the Jack Nicholson Joker, the Mark Hamill Joker. The Heath Ledger Joker, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, well, and, and then there's Jared Leto, who is a guy. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned the Joker because he actually was heavily influenced by Heath Ledger's Joker. Not so much the actual... Which, who are you referring to? Bill Skarsgård. Okay, just in, to in clear up so people don't in, think you in, meant Jack Nicholson for Tim Curry because Bat- Batman came out before... Well, we've moved on to Bill Scars. Right I, I'm now. just just making sure. Um, no, he was heavily influenced by Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. Not so much the actual, so somewhat of the portrayal, but all of the prep that Heath Ledger put into this role and how he really just submersed himself into this role and, and, and the overall outcome. Uh, that's what Bill Skarsgård did. And 
again, he didn't really require a lot of prosthetics as far as makeup goes. And I read a, a fun fact that the makeup team initially took five hours to put on his makeup, but over time, because they're doing the same prosthetics, you know, each and every, every day for filming, we're able to dwindle it down to two hours. But again, they didn't really need to utilize a lot of prosthetics because he was able to do a lot of those uh, facial misshapenness. Yeah, the weird facial. Because his weird smile is just him That's smiling him. normally. And he's able to do some weird shit with his eyes, too. Now, when he was first cast as Pennywise, uh, he actually took the place of Will Poulter, who was originally cast in the role, but was forced to drop out due to other filming schedules. Um, and Hugo Weaving was actually up for the role as well. It was down to Hugo Weaving and Bill Skarsgård. I think Hugo Weaving was not chosen because he would have been much more it would have been a combination of uh tim curry and agent smith well they also realized that they kind of wanted to go with somebody younger to kind of bring that childlike sense of wonder to the role which is what bill did yeah i think he was able to connect a little bit better because he's only in like his early 20s like he's he's, well i mean at the time of filming he was 25 yeah so that's he's a young kid, you know. At the time of filming, probably twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. So yeah, I mean he's he's a young guy. So whereas when Tim able- Curry was filming, uh, he was forty four. Yeah, and Hugo Weaving, I think, is in his fifties, maybe sixties. I don't know exactly how old Hugo Not Weaving is. Sixties? I don't 60s. know. I mean, he looks maybe, good. He, maybe he works in his out. early fifties. Like he, he looks out. good. Um, but yeah, so I think that uh, you know, he he's fifty nine. In a in an interview, Skarsgård was quoted saying, you know, in, in referencing Tim Curry, Curry's performance was truly great, but it's important for me to do something different because of that. I'll never be able to make a Tim Curry performance as good as Tim Curry. Right. And I think a lot of actors should go into roles, especially if they're remaking something, in that way. And in all honesty... He made a Bill Skarsgård role as good as Bill Skarsgård. Now, when he was first cast, I was really excited because I know him from Hemlock Grove. Yeah. And the first season, and this is no fault of his, the first season and a half was really good. And he was really good in it. Yes, he was. The last season and a half... Kind of went off the rails. Not so good, but that's not his fault. He was still a brilliant actor in that role. Right. It just, it just the, the, the show itself just went completely bonkers and uh, that's neither here nor there. But I was really excited when he was cast because I've seen him in a couple of things. I know what he can do and I was really open to seeing what he would do with this role. And he did not disappoint. He really didn't. And because he was able to enter this role with a uh, bringing Pennywise uh, a more childlike sense of wonder in order to relate to the children more and to entice the children more. And ultimately, it's almost like he tries to win them over and then scare them. Yeah, it's like he's uh, gaining trust, which again you see in the book in the in the original movie where he's like, it's like he's always the clown first, and then he turns into the ferocious, terrifying thing that scares the kids. It was like Georgie's like, oh, you know, I can't talk to strangers. He's like, well, we're not strangers anymore. It's like, whoa, hey, settle down with that voice. 
But he's like, yeah, but, but I mean, and it's funny because in, um, a scene from the trailer, his voice is so hushed and so, so can't think of the word I'm looking for, but he kind of sounds like Winnie the Pooh. Oh, hello, rabbit. But, but you know, it kind of like, oh, something that sounds like that cannot be terrifying at all, but it can. Um, and well, it's the same way you talk to animals and when you, when you're talking to your dog or your cat in a high pitched voice, it's like, oh, hello, kitty. Oh, you're so nice. But when you are, angry it's like no that's a bad kitty <laughs> that's a bad kitty you bad kitty that's a bad Stop kitty it. uh and one of the other things i really loved was the difference between the two costumes so uh tim curry's pennywise was very like traditional almost bozo the clown-esque clown costume similar to how it's described in the book you know silver with bright orange pom-poms and the kids find an orange pom-pom in the uh 1990 book uh 1990 adaptation whereas in the most recent one uh costume designer janie bryant spoke of crafting pennywise's form-fitting suit and the inspirations to which it drew upon involving a number of bygone times among them medieval renaissance elizabethan and victorian errors she explained that the costume incorporates all of these other uh was built that way in order to incorporate all of Pennywise's uh, otherworldly past lives. Yeah, I, I also um, I'm not sure what we're going to see as far as Pennywise's origin. Like, they probably, you know, I would imagine they already were like, okay, here's the origin. This is going to give a clue to who he is and how he came to be. So, you know, maybe they're not going with the, you know, supernatural, you know, enemy of a giant universe vomiting turtle. Maybe they're just going by like a, some sort of demon or, or, you know, some sort of entity that possesses people, like some sort of spirit, you know, especially where we saw that weird thing in the commercial where he's got like all the white makeup on and he's got like scars on his face or scratches on his face, which ends up turning into the permanent smile, which would be weird. But I'm just saying. Yeah, it's interesting to see if they're going to stick with the multi-universe otherworldly uh backstory or if they're going to change it for the film um i'm kind of hoping that they stick with the origin story that's you know uh true to the novel but that'd be cool i mean we'll see obviously we'll see uh but i'm really excited for this and again you know the way that scarsgard was able to make this character his own and you know i i feel like he's going to pull out another iconic performance in this second half of the film yeah i think uh i think we're going to see a lot more of him because we've already established who the character is and what's going on so i think we're going to see a lot more pennywise especially interacting cuz we see in the second half of the book uh, where the adults come back to Derry, like there's a lot of him trying to like unnerve them, especially if you know what happened to Stan, like, you know, and it, they have kind of have to re- resort to their childhood. Um, like there's a scene with, um, the giant Paul Bunyan statue and Richie and Richie's wearing contacts now. He doesn't wear glasses. He wears contacts because that's a cool oh, thing. Oh, well, beep, beep, and Richie. There's a scene where the statue points at him and he gets like these terrible, like this terrible headache and he be- manages to pop his, uh, his, um, contacts. contacts out and he has to put his glasses on. So the kids kind of revert back to what they used to be. 
So I think that's pretty interesting. But I think with that being said, that was a really good discussion on Pennywise. Do you have anything else you want to add? Um, I think we covered pretty much all of it. I mean, um, there's more we could talk about, but I'm I'm just eager to go out and see the film. Yeah, absolutely. So I think with that being said, we'll uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we've got some battle results and some uh, coming attractions. So we will be right back. Do you have a craving for creatures, a thirst for thrills, and a hunger for horror? Then you need to gorge yourself on the gore of Rock and Shock. That's right, Worcester's annual horror convention, Rock and Shock, comes for you from the DCU Center in Worcester, Massachusetts, on October 11th, 12th, and 13th, featuring the ladies of Evil Dead, Betsy Baker, Ellen Sandweiss, and Teresa Tilly. Ray Wise and Sherilyn Fenn of Twin Peaks. Jason Voorhees himself, Kane Hodder. John Dugan and Ed Neal of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And making his first appearance, the legendary Bruce Campbell. Hail to the king, baby. Go to rockandshock.com for the full list as new guests are added all the time. Rock and shock. Be there and be scared. When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Hey there, this is JB. And if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kiddies. You're all a scream. <laughs> hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon, and you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. Getting jiggy with it. Getting jiggy with it. Getting jiggy with it. And we are back. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed the uh, conversation about Pennywise. If you have anything to add, please let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, on the Instagrams. You can shoot us a message. If you have our phone number, you can text us. You know, let us know uh, if, if if you have anything you'd like to add to this conversation. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think we've done pretty well uh, establishing who we who we think. Uh, Pennywise is and where he comes from. Um, and there's always a chance that we mess something up. So if we did, please be sure to correct us because we like to be uh, accurate here. We have some battle results, do we not? We do. So last week we threw down Kaiju Pass Me a Donut, the Battle of the Homers. Who will win? Location outside of the Lard Lad Donut Shop on Monster Island. We pinned Homerzilla versus King Homer. And surprisingly, not surprisingly, Homerzilla won. I'm kind of, uh, I'm not overly surprised. Um, Homerzilla is bigger. I did vote for King Homer. 
I voted for Homerzilla. I thought uh, King Homer could pull it out. Uh, mainly, I voted for him for strength of episode. It was a good, both episodes were good, but you know, as you if you listen to last week, you know that that King Homer is my favorite all time Simpsons uh, Simpsons uh, segment. So yeah, I had to uh, I had to go with him. Uh, so. What do we have coming up? We have something big next week, don't we? We have a great episode for you guys next week. So we have the opportunity to interview the incomparable D. Wallace. Yeah, this is uh, huge. Like, this is going to be really cool. Uh, we're really, really looking forward to her uh, joining us on the show because, I mean... <laughs> It's D friggin Wallace. I right? mean, what do you So not only are we going to have the opportunity to talk to her about her past performances uh in in specific movies, one of which will not be named, but we also will have the opportunity to talk to her about her upcoming performance in 3 from Hell. Yes, uh that's really what I want to find out about um you know, especially where this episode's going to going to be dropping right before 3 from Hell takes its uh limited release to theaters which we do have tickets for um so yeah we're uh, we're very excited to be chatting with her in a couple of uh well, feels like just a couple of days but um yeah um actually yeah it is a good <laughs> by the time this days. comes out oh, <laughs> this month is going by is it it feels like going to sneak up on us so uh yeah it's 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 coming up pretty quick um I think that's about it. Uh, well, we also have some awesome places that we're going to be. Oh, that's stuff right. We're yes, do, we have some right? We have a up. lot oh, of coming goodness. attractions. So, sweet on sassy molassy. October fifth, Ashtober fifth, if you will, we will be at Platinum City Gaming in Taunton for the Halloween Happenings Party, hosted by BMG Events. Tickets are $10 a piece. It's 21 plus. It's from 7 p.m. to 12 a.m. There's going to be a costume contest. Hells yeah. So if you are in the area, come down to Platinum City Gaming. That's where we're going to be hanging out uh, in costume. You'll have to uh, attend to see what we're doing. It's going to be yep. a lot of fun. Uh, we're also going to be at Rock and Shock. October 11th, 12th, and 13th. And that is at the DCU Center here in Worcester. Yeah, that's that's going to be a good time. We have a, a table with the Dorkening. And you heard the uh, promo that we uh, we played earlier. That I made that promo. I'm very, very proud of it. Uh, people seem to like it. They think it's cool. I'd never made a promo <laughs> before. This is the first people one. People seem to like it. They so think it's cool. I'm, I'm very excited to have uh, made, this, made this promo. So... Uh, we'll be playing that. You did a very good job with it. Sadie. Thank you. I'm very excited. Uh, we were also going to be at Rhode Island Comic Con that is down in Providence, Rhode Island at the Dunkin Donuts Center and the Convention Center. Providence Convention Center. Correct. That is November f- first, second, first, third. second, and third yep um yeah so we'll be there we'll be there with the dorkening doing some really fun stuff they have some really great guests that they've announced too some Ooh, stranger yeah. things kids uh, uh that's what i'm excited for and um 
Alana Masterson from uh, Walking Dead. Oh, yeah, there's some Walking Dead people. Like, it's always a really good time at, at Rhode Island. They have a very uh, well-rounded group of, of guests that can pique anyone's interest. Oh, yeah. On, let's see, the following weekend, November 9th, that's a Saturday, we will be at the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival that is also at Platinum City Gaming in Taunton, Massachusetts. Oh, it's going to be so fun. That is going to be a freaking blast. So that is Saturday, November 9th from 6 to midnight. It is $10 a person to get in. It is sponsored by BMG Events, and it came from the 508 Productions. It is the world premiere of The Box, box. which is from the... It came from the 508 Productions as well. Yep. Um, it's going to be a really good time. We're going to be there. We're going to be uh, recording live from there. Uh, a lot of cool people are going to be there as well. Some great movies... And yeah, trailers and shorts. Um, if you are interested in having a short or or film shown, definitely get in touch with us. We can point you in the direction of the right people. Yes. Um. But yeah, we will be there. There's going to be some great vendors there as well. Definitely worth the ten dollar admission. Oh, way w- worth way more, especially because of all the people that are going to be there, the different shows that are going to be there, um, the people, um. There's going to be a lot of merch. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some stuff up there, too. Right, but, and it's going to be after Halloween. So, uh, if you are like you us Halloween and you hangover. like to... Right? If you like to keep Halloween alive, 365, then definitely join us at the Dead of Autumn Horror Fest. And the following weekend, uh, Saturday, November 16th, and Sunday, November 17th, we are going to be at Super Mega Fest at the Sheridan in Framingham, Massachusetts. Yep. And that's going to be a hell of a good time, too. And we will be joining our brothers and sisters in the Dorkening again. That's right. And uh, they have some great guests, too. A lot of the guys from the Warriors oh, are going to be yes. there. I know uh, you're really excited about that. Yeah, because there are some people that are going to be there that I didn't get to see last time that will be able to sign my poster, add add to my uh, posters. The guy who played uh, 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 Snow... Um, and the names are totally, I, I keep wanting to call him Leon Cersei, but that's not his name because Leon Cersei was a lineman for the, uh, Steelers back in the nineties. Um, but yeah, Deborah, uh, Valken, uh, oh my God. A lot of the warriors are going to be there. <laughs> Uh, including Thomas G. Waits, who was also in The Thing. So if you're a fan of The Thing, he played Fox in The Warriors. He played Windows in The uh, in the Thing. Uh, definitely get there and see him, talk to talk to him, talk to these guys. I'm getting a ticket for my dad because my dad's a huge Warriors fan. I want to get him to meet these guys because it would be fucking amazing. So doing that. And uh, I, don't know, I think that's it. And then I think we're going to take a nap. And then it's, <laughs> and then then it's, it's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And then we have some crazy awesome uh, episodes coming up for you guys. We are working on some really, really, really just super awesome horror-themed episodes. We're going to have some great guests on. So definitely stay tuned. Yes. And uh, I think with that being said... We We will see you next Thursday. Until then, here is It Is The End by Ice Nine Kills. Allow me to introduce.
introduce myself. They call me the dancing clown. And you must be Georgie. Did you hear my circus was in town? It seems I have your bow here. The storm blew her off track. Just reach your hands down here and talk if you really want it back. Oh, Georgie, you can trust me, sweet child. Step right this way. I'll make you service with a smile. Like Joe!